So let me start out. I'd like to start out with an opening prayer. And uh, let's just pray. Let's just pray. Father, I want to thank you for the new relationship that Jesus has initiated for each of us here today. That we no longer have to be those who pray from a distance. We no longer are on the outside looking in. But we have direct access to your presence. We have direct access to the revelation in your heart. Lord, I'm asking you to allow today's message, today's thoughts and words, to tear down any barriers that have existed in the lives of your people, in their minds or in their heart feelings, feel, hearts feeling like strangers or alienated from you, feeling like they do not belong in an intimate relationship with you, feeling like you would not even share your heart with them because they might feel they're not worthy, because we do not feel good about ourselves or because they feel this way about themselves, then you would probably try to withhold something from them. Lord, I'm asking you to tear down those barriers and destroy the yoke of religion that, that's, ha- that's been on so many today that has kept us from identifying ourselves in a relationship that Jesus came to bring us to. So, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, set us in a rightful relationship with you today because of the finished work of the cross. And so as we pray today, Father, please, please make it so that we do not feel far away. We do not feel isolated, but we will know that you are up close and personal with us, like a father who loves us graciously and so tenderly and wants to commune with us as his beloved sons and daughters. Thank you, Father, for your anointing on today's words and message and on those who are receiving this today, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. The opening scripture I want to read, which will lead us right into my thoughts on worship, which we're going to be going into some thoughts on worship. And my title on worship today is, Worship is Everything. If you can take notes, it would be great. But if not, just get, get a hold of me. I can email them to you. You don't even have to take notes. But uh, Psalm 98 in the Message Bible, verses 1 through 9. In fact, that's all the verses you get in this psalm. Psalm 98 in the Message Bible, it says, Sing to God a brand new song. He's made a world of wonders. He rolled up his sleeves and he set things right. God made history with salvation. He showed the world what he could do. He remembered to love us a bonus to his dear family in the fatigable love. The whole earth comes to attention. Look, God's work of salvation. Shout your praises to God, everybody. Let loose and sing. Strike up the band. Round up the orchestra to play for God. Add a hundred-voice choir. Feature trumpets and big trombones. Fill the air with praise to King God. Let the sea and its fish give a round of applause with everything living on earth joining in. Let oceans break. Breakers call out encore and mountains harmonize with finale, a tribute to God when he comes, when he comes to set earth right. He'll straighten out the whole world and he'll put the whole world right and everyone in it. That's Psalm 98 in the Message Bible. Great translation of that verse. And so worship for me, when I read about worship, 
out, either in the Psalms or all through the Bible, worship is everything. In fact, for me, a subtitle of this would be, when God comes close, when God comes close. See, worship is our response to his majesty. Whenever I see the word majesty, I immediately think of Jack Hayford, Pastor Jack Hayford, Dr. Hayford, when he did that great song, Worship His Majesty. But worship is the created you and I responding to the creator of all. Our worship needs to be Jesus-centered, Holy Spirit-filled, and passionately led. When we corporately worship together, we declare his kingdom on earth and announce his presence to the world around us. And when we worship, we come by grace through faith, bringing the voice of our hearts before heaven. When we worship, we exalt Christ. And when we worship, thanksgiving is our password. Joy is our strength. Our identity in Christ is our inheritance. And when we worship, kingdom dominion is established in our very own lives. Worship changes everything. John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24, it says, The time has come, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. See, the Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, so that those who worship Him must worship Him or must worship in spirit and truth. So experiencing God is why we were created. It's embedded in our DNA. It's the only path to true peace and purpose and fulfillment. Worship allows us to experience who God is. And, the, and in that experience, we discover who we are and why we were created. When we look at the life of King David, fighting giants, dancing before the Lord, leading armies to victory, showing mercy to his enemies, we discover that the deepest, most pervasive, most inspiring thoughts and emotions of David's life were the times he spent in worship to God, his majesty. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. Worship changes everything because it's being in his presence of the one who is worthy of all worship. And you can, you can search that out. There's a lot of, lot of stuff on worship and, and being worthy. And acknowledge that all I am, that all I have, all I do is a response to his amazing grace. The amazing thing about grace is that it is the good news of God, that, that God gives us everything we need to live a life of worship. Because in spiritual worship, we experience God in all of his goodness and his wonderful plans for our lives. See, legalism says God will love you or God will love us if we change. The gospel, the good news says God will change us because he loves us. A big difference, amen? So true spiritual worship is all about a lifetime of relationship with the God of the universe. I mean, that's incredible. That the God of the universe came close to us. And then we get to worship and acknowledge that with praise and thanksgiving because worship changes everything. Because it's rooted in our knowledge and the very depth of our being that we have been loved and cherished by the God of the universe. And that's who we are. You are loved by the God of the universe. The idea that worship is mostly about a Sunday service really misses the breadth and the depth of worship in our lives. As we sing songs of praise and worship, we open his word, we gather together, and are refueled for service in the fields of life 
As wonderful as that is, it is just the beginning when it comes to the heart of worship. When King David reestablished worship with the Ark of the Covenant in the physical representation of God's presence, he sang a song that is not recorded in Psalms, but it's recorded here in your Bibles in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. 1 Chronicles 16. And there's there's a lot of verses there. <laughs> we could spend probably a couple hours, but it's very good. I, I, would, I would just, if you can write these down, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 8, it starts, it starts out, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Remember, David re- recorded this song, but it's not in Psalms. It's here in Chronicles. It's not, you won't find it in Psalms. Sing to him. Sing Psalms to him. Talk of his wondrous works. Glory in his name and let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. And you go on and on and read it. And the last verse, verse 36 of this, of this song, that's David sang this song. And the last verse of this song, he said, Blessed be the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people said, Amen and praise the Lord. So King David reaffirmed what was in his heart. God's greatness, he deserves all the praise. He is worthy. Something wonderful happens when we give all the glory to God. We receive his gladness. And I'll tell you what, I hope that we can never forget that truth. When we're worshiping God, as we're worshiping him, we receive his gladness, his glory. Proclaim from our hearts and lips our gladness, his joy, and our lives equal strength. And so when we give ourselves to God... We lose nothing of value. We receive gifts beyond measure. I mean, I don't know if you ever heard of a martyred missionary years ago. His name was Jim Elliott. He said this amazing truth. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. (coughs) Powerful statement. He is no fool who gives what he cannot gain, what he cannot keep to gain, what he cannot lose. So praise brings us gladness. Apostle Paul reinforces this thought in his, in his epistle in Ephesians chapter 5, stating it this way in the Amplified Version. He says, speak out loud to one another in, sin, in, 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 yeah, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs offering praise with voices and instruments and making melody with all your heart to the Lord. So Paul here exhorts us exhorts us to speak our words out loud. Perhaps the simplest and clearest teaching on how to praise is really found in Psalm 150. It's just it's just a little psalm, uh Psalm 150 verses 1 through 6. And the reason I'm reading verses 1 through 6 because there are no more verses than six. What's incredible, though, about this psalm and, and about let all things praise the Lord is that in these six short verses, the word praise is found 13 times. It says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. That means all under heaven. So where do we praise him? Everywhere. Why, why do we praise him? Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. How do we praise him? Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath 
<coughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Worship changes everything. And worship happens when we realize how much God loves us and respond to Him with our love and devotion and honor Him with our praise. And as we praise Him, the gladness of God comes to us. As we praise the Lord, and if we're sad or depressed or not feeling good in the morning, that's why we start out with praise and worship. Because when we praise and worship the, worship the Lord, His gladness becomes our gladness. And so I just would like to close with this uh, last uh, Psalm, Psalm 100. Let me get there for you. Psalm 100. I didn't mark it in my Bible. should have, but didn't. <laughs> Maybe I do have it here. I don't know. Psalm 100. And uh, we'll close with this and then we'll move on. Psalm 100, uh, verses 1 through 5. Why? Because there's only five verses in Psalm 100. Another powerful psalm. But it says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endures to all generations. Amen? Worship changes Everything. Now I'd like to go into my teaching for today. I've titled this teaching, Unexpected Circumstances. Why? Because of the situation that we all find ourselves in today. Unexpected circumstances. How many know that we are living in one of these right now? We're living in an unexpected circumstance. All the world is, not just America, all the world. Your state, your neighborhood, your church, your life. All uh, everybody around us. <laughs> and what is so important about these unexpected cir circumstances is they allow us to practice things that we have learned. In the book of Philippians, Apostle Paul uses these words, Philippians 4.9, he says, The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, as I imitate Christ, Paul was the one who said in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, "Imitate me as I imitate Christ." So he says, "The things that you learned, church, I'm talking to the my, the church, the people of God, the sons and daughters of God. The things that you have learned every day, come into church. You're learning something. The things that you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you." And so with these words in mind, unexpected circumstances, with these words in mind, in mind, excuse me, we must recognize the opportunities that are before us. Amen? Correct? Just as stillness increases our ability to see God, because it says in Psalm 46.10, be still and know God. Sometimes it's good that we're still. It's good that we're quiet before the Lord. Because fear and panic reduces our ability to interpret the real purposes of God in the times we are currently living in. You can't interpret anything that's happening today by fear or panic. And, and if somebody's trying to, if there's a voice out there that's trying to put fear on you, shut it off. Open your scriptures. Read what God says. So in the process of our development to discover the image of God in us, 
the likeness of God in us as, as us, the beholding and the becoming allows us to experience various learnings where we can practice our peace in the midst of turmoil. So the equipping season of the, of the kingdom training for reigning that the church finds herself in currently, literally, is trying to get us to understand what it is to have peace in the midst of turmoil. Also letting us know with what we are currently going through helps us to find out what we truly have learned over the years of knowing Christ and discovering that the Holy Spirit is still trying to get us to understand who we are in Christ, our identity in Him. And so in our learning, these times that we are living in, we can discover how many of our theologies or understand the scriptures that have, have actually become literally our reality. But God's not disappointed if we discover that it's not as many as we thought. <laughs> because he already knows where we truly stand. He's just kind enough to make sure that we understand it too, so that we can embark on the next part of our development without getting ourselves or someone else seriously wounded in the process due to our well-intentioned ignorance. I don't know about you, but when I notice the blunders of the disciples of Jesus, it gives me great encouragement that I too am still learning as I go. And in these days of uncertainty in many ways, I have stated <coughs> over and over that a portion of Scripture that I believe pertains to us was found in Mark chapter 4. Let's go there. Mark chapter 4, which is a very, I believe, pertains to us today. Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. Because I believe as it was for Jesus' disciples... It is for us and that it is a growing, we are living in a growing and learning opportunity for us to see just how much we trust God. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all our heart. And what, what's the next phrase? Lean not upon your own understanding. Why do you think that's in there? Because what do we do most of the time? We try to figure it out in our own mind without asking God, without asking the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. And so the learning opportunity begins with the storm on the lake. This, is, this was a learning opportunity for the disciples. And Jesus starts out the whole, this whole thing in Mark 4.35. He says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, to the disciples, he says, he prophesies, let us go over to the other side. Now, the question that needs to be asked is, did they believe him? <laughs> because we know that in the midst of the storm, just like the church is today, in the midst of a storm, it can't meet in its building. How I many know we're still the church? The church is not the building. The church is the people. Whether we're in the building or out of the building, we're still the church. Amen? It's very difficult for us sometimes to get away from that kind of thinking. But where Jesus speaks prophetically to his disciples, even before they leave the calm waters of the shore... These infamous words, we are going to the other side. Then Jesus got into the, into the boat. He found a boat cushion, went to the stern of the boat, and fell sound asleep on the pillow. See, the whole chapter of Mark 4, prior to the crossing over to the other side, is filled with very, I mean, very long day of parables. 
You find the parable of the sower in Mark 4. You find the parable of the lamp in Mark 4. You find the parable of the growing seed, the parable of the mustard seed. And while in between all of these parables, Jesus explains why he's using parables. In Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. That's one of the explanations that Jesus talks about in these parables. And then if you went to Mark 4, verses 33, why Jesus uses parables, and it says, and with such many, with, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. We're going to talk about that in just in a few minutes. But I don't know about you, but I love the pillow. That Jesus takes the pillow, the cushion. And in these learning experiences for Jesus' disciples, because it is filled with great meaning, in that it it conveys so much truth about trust. I mean, Jesus is in the boat. Jesus spoke to the disciples. We're crossing over to the other side. Jesus has given us the promise as the church, whether we're here, if I'm here in my house, or if I'm here in the building, I'm still the church. You're still the church. And so, not not only was Jesus crashed out after a long day of ministry, he was really comfortably snuggled in a totality of rest. He was at rest. And meanwhile, the storm, COVID-19, kicked up and those with Jesus began, literally began to become anxious, it says. And, but the Bible tells us in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer, but everything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. When I see the word thanksgiving, I know it's time to worship because that's Thanksgiving is an important part of worship. Let your request be made known to God, meaning that it had to be pretty a pretty rough storm. More than half of them would have grown up on this lake and were professional fishermen, and they knew how to handle themselves when the waves got big. Yet this night, that's in this and I, that's the story in this Bible. Yet this night was different because the boat was filling up with water and they were sinking, and they wondered. <laughs> if, if Jesus even cared. I mean, I could hear somebody say, even I mean, in the book, come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. There's no time to go to sleep on the job. We need you to do one of those miracle things that you do. Why did Jesus choose to remain unavailable in this situation? Here's why I believe Jesus remained unavailable in Mark 4. 35 through 41, when he's told them, we're going over to the other side. You don't have to worry. We'll get over there. But the storm rose, just like the storm we're in now, because this was a teaching moment for them. Again, what I said in the beginning of this teaching, I said in Philippians 4, 9, the things which you have learned 
and saw in me these things do. And it was time for these disciples to put into practice all that Jesus, their teacher, had already taught them and how to handle difficult situations. How do we handle the difficult situations? Real simple, church. Trust in God with their hearts and try not to figure it out with your own mind. Lean not upon your own understanding. You could say this was their second opportunity to put their experience of God into action. Second one, I said. Second one, you say. What was their first one? 5,000 people show up to hear Jesus as they are hungry. The disciples' solution? Send them away. I mean, read it, Matthew 14, 16. Jesus is out teaching the people. They're in a big, big place. There's 5,000 people and they're hungry. And, and Jesus said to them, you know, what was the disciples' solution? Send them away. <laughs> but Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You just need to give them something to eat. Let's read this together in Matthew 14. It's really, really powerful because it's about Jesus, another teaching moment. Jesus teaching them. In Matthew 14, verse 15, And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is the desert place. You know, and this is, they talked about all that was going on. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. <laughs> Jesus said to the disciples, You, <laughs> you give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. He says, bring them here to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke, sounds like communion to me, and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the multitudes, so that they all ate and were filled, and they took up the twelve baskets full of fragments that remained. And now those who had eaten were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Were these disciples willing at this point in their lives to do as Jesus asked them to do? What did he ask them to do? You give them something to eat. See, these were, these were opportunities. These were times to practice what they were learning from Jesus. And it sounds like they protested, pointing out to Jesus how little they had and how, I mean, all they had in, in regards to the five loaves and two fishes was like, Oh, we got us a little boy's lunch here, Lord. How are we going to feed 5,000 men, not including the women and children? So Jesus uses this teaching moment to show them how to make what they had to be more than enough. Jesus gave them an opportunity to practice and, and, and had they, and, and that had to, and had, excuse me, and the, they had to, to decide if they could do it. Why was Jesus doing this? Because he knew that he wasn't always going to be with them physically. <clears throat> Very soon, they too would need to be able to connect with the Father in the same way he did. So Jesus left open spaces for them to practice, taking responsibility for using what they had learned, learned, learned from him. So here they are in the boat in Mark 4, going back to Mark 4. Here they are in the boat with the storm. And Jesus, again, makes himself unavailable. He's sleeping. The boat's sinking. But Jesus prophesied, we're going to the other side. Why? Because Jesus knew that in their future, they too would face even larger storms in life, 
And he loved them too much not to give them the opportunity to take their best shot at releasing Papa Peace into their circumstances out of their own relationship with the Father, not his. See, Jesus had previously taught them about who would endure the kingdom of God. Those who heard his words and did them. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49 says, But why do you call me Lord and do not do the things which I say? Verse, 40, verse 47 of Luke 6 says, Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. Verse 48, He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. You know, we all know the rock is Jesus. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house, but could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing, he who heard and did nothing, is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the storm came and beat, and immediately... That house, it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So in this parable, Jesus describes two men who both built houses, which were probably equally excellent in outward appearance, but the foundations of the house houses were greatly different. And Jesus described that the man who both heard the truth and took action as having created a foundation that would withstand the storm, COVID-19, before the weather ever turned nasty, the man put the weight of practice on his revelation to see how much of them he had actually become. See, truth wasn't just a concept to, to him. It was a rock-solid reality. And any gaps in his relationship with God were discovered and addressed ahead of time and could be filled accordingly. I heard a man yesterday on Fox News said, This is dress rehearsal, folks. This is, this is not, if, if this is the, this may be the first of a many things that, uh, a pandemics we might have in the future. And if we can't pass this test, how are we going to pass the next test? Or the bigger storm? And it's, it's just a test for the church. To still be the church without a building. We have to be able to be who God called us to be. And so no matter how excellent the construction of his home, his lack of a foundation left it vulnerable to adversity. And once the waves came to pound and the winds began to blow, it was too late to apply the action which would have secured the faith and trust needed for a storm-weathering foundation. The same was true for the disciples here on the lake. Jesus was offering a surprise session of Life Training 101 with God. It was time for them to discover if they had built a foundation on the rock of their relationship with the Father or if their foundation was on the sandy soil of another's revelation, that's Jesus' revelation of the Father, that had not become their personal reality. See, imagine if one of them was getting it after all, and stepped forward and said, let's do it, guys. Let's release the peace of God into this storm by speaking to it. Yet we'll never know if that could have happened, because that night, they all missed it. They all lost their opportunity to personally speak to the storm, <coughs> to let their relational peace surpass their natural power of the waves. They never got to see the look that would have been on Jesus' face when he would have said, Well done, my sons. Jesus did get up and speak to the storm, 
instilled it, showing once more what happens when the life, when life on earth is as it is in heaven. And true to the gracious and patient nature of God, there would be other occasions in the disciples' futures, like ours, when the unexpected was happening and they would be given another chance to take action using what they had learned combined who the Father had become to them. And though the Gospels show us that they missed several opportunities, they would eventually become champions with the help of the Holy Spirit. And this is a great encouragement in studying the Scriptures to find out how the people who turned the world upside down after Jesus left didn't get it right the first time, nor the second time, and not even the third time, but at some point they got it because they had, they had been and stayed with Jesus. Acts 4.13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Simple, huh? Just spend some time with Jesus. Make an intentional choice to lose your expectations of how circumstances will or should unfold and use every unexpected occasion as an opportunity to practice letting go of the security of your plan and allow the Holy Spirit to give you insight on how to view what is happening and ask, ask Him the question, what is really going on here? His answer will often surprise you. Instead of bemoaning everything that went wrong, we can learn to ask, what can I learn from this circumstance in my life? Learn to love the learning opportunities that God puts before you. And what if there aren't good days and bad days, but only days of grace? Could God's grace really be that, that, that ginormous? Because in God's grace... We can stand and grow. We can win and we can lose. We can live and we can learn because it's grace that abounds and exceeds and is abundant. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And this grace is so great that almost every apostle began and ended their letters in the New Testament with a desire that readers would have a profound revelation of grace be multiplied unto you. It is a gift, not a goal. A gift that expands peace, truth, and hope beyond all reason. Grace has made us accepted in the beloved and rich in his kindness. Combined with faith, it is how we are saved from an old life of trying to be a good into the new life of living in the one who is goodness himself. And so when even a small portion of this truth becomes our reality, every situation we encounter becomes a condemnation-free learning experience, whether it is expected or unexpected. And like well-loved sons and daughters, we can come boldly, bounding into the throne of grace in times of need, Hebrews 4.16. And we can now recognize that the goodness of God has made us stronger in the places we might have fallen before, and we can be thankful when we see the gaps that still remaining know that the provisions to overcome in those areas is also there in Christ. We can abandon the exhausting 
roller coaster of good or bad days and exchange them for the broad, ever upward highway of the days of grace revealed. I'm excited. How about you? So diving into the oceans of God's grace way beyond what we can see or what we can imagine every day in Christ will end up, will end up the same as we began it, full of grace, full of possibilities, and full of promise. Every day in Christ when we wake up, we receive His joy of knowing today and tomorrow we will encounter God in His grace and goodness once again and again. Amen. Amen. That concludes my teaching for today of unexpected, unexpected circumstances. How do we handle it? It's a learning opportunity. What, what have we learned? What have we learned since what we, you know, what we saw in the Lord? And that's important. And now we come to communion. And I'd like to talk to you a little bit about it, but if you have your com- communion elements or if you don't, you need time to go get them, take this time to go get them because we'll be there in a few minutes. But when we receive communion, we engage the living genetic contract within it to bring about full restoration of our lives and the transformation of our very own DNA. We break our genetic relationship with the record of sin and death and the body of sin that has been done away with. We ask the blood of Jesus to speak better things into our lives than the blood of Abel. Jesus said, and we're going to talk about this in a few minutes as we partake, but he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. His body was his flesh. And he also said, the cup, this cup in the new covenant is in my blood, which is shed for you. So when we take communion, his body and his blood redeems our body and our blood. And we can see this exchange even greater when we look at John 6, 53 through 55. When we receive communion, it is a faith-based gateway through which the living DNA of God through Christ enters our very being. And we receive within ourselves the reality of the blood of Christ, redemptive covenant with us. He has made from one blood every nation of men that dwell on the face of the earth. And so this time, God has made us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, from one blood, His blood, and the divine potential of His DNA. Jesus did not, Jesus did say, excuse me, Jesus did say that the new covenant is His blood. And that's what we call DNA, divine nature applied. And so today, as we take communion, I believe that communion is the gateway to the fullness of the resurrected body of Christ right now in us. And so let's partake with this new understanding of this new under of this new covenant together. So you have your bread and you have your wafer. It says, "For I received from the Lord that with that which I also delivered to you." that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. (coughs) Excuse me. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together.
you're wondering why I'm silent, because I'm still chewing. My, my communion wafer. <laughs> it says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's drink together. I do like the bigger glasses <laughs> that we get at home. Amen. I'd like to talk today a little bit about the Holy Spirit since we are in the area or the realm of Pentecost. And uh, I just had some thoughts that I wrote down and I, I would like to share those thoughts with you today. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> but in John 14, 26, <coughs> Jesus said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you. So you want to know who the Holy Spirit is? He's your teacher. He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Have you ever struggled with someone who was tr trying to say something to you? I mean, perhaps they were speaking too fast or they had some deep accent and it was very difficult to try to hear what they said. Well, in much the same way, we can struggle at times trying to understand what God is saying to us. After all, God speaks spirit. <laughs> God speaks spirit. He doesn't speak English, nor Hebrew, nor even Greek. God speaks spirit. And while we speak human, and actually fallen human at that, so unless we have a spirit like unto God that can discern, interpret, and translate we're going to find it very difficult to comprehend what God is saying to us. You can find many instances of this in the gospel where Jesus would share a spiritual truth and his disciples would have no idea what he meant. They, like many today, had not yet been born again or born from above and didn't have the divine interpreter, the Holy Spirit in them to discern and to translate. And because of that, Jesus stressed the importance of the Holy Spirit, John 16, coming to them to teach them all things and to guide them into all truth and to tell them all the things that Jesus taught them. So the Christian life is undeniably an identification with and a comprehension of the things of the Spirit. Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb by the Spirit of God. Jesus was empowered for ministry by the Spirit. Jesus cast out devils by the Spirit. The church was birthed in the book of Acts by the Spirit. We are born from above by the Spirit. We are changed from glory to glory by the Spirit. We are endued with power from on high by the Spirit. We bear fruit by the Spirit. We worship by the Spirit. God himself is Spirit. And yet all the realities of the Spirit are literally foolishness to the natural man. But truly our new creation identity is a thing of God. So that the only way that you can understand it is by the Spirit of God. Jesus wanted us to understand that we have a source in the Spirit that people of the world just do not have and do not understand. Scriptures for us to reference in this regards are found here in 1 Corinthians 2, 9-14. 
And in verse 14 especially, here is the conclusion and my point exactly found in verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But when it comes to the things of God, your salvation, your new creation, your identity, your complete and total forgiveness in Christ, for example, they're just not going to make much sense to a carnal mind, a fleshly mind. They must be discerned and understood with the help, the helper of the Holy Spirit. Again, our feelings and emotions, as well as the opinions and views of the natural man, just will not be able to see the truth or know the truth, comprehend the truth, or even participate with the truth. Always rely on the eternal presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you, the Spirit of truth. He lives and loves to be your teacher and help you not fall prey to any lie-based thinking. Thinking about you, your identity about God, about His Word, about others, or about life in general on this planet. John 14, excuse me, John 4.24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So deception, this deception can ring true in that we think we are just carnal, physical beings instead of sons and daughters of God by His spirit. We often too, too, we too often believe the lie that what happens in the physical realm of behavior is more real or true than what God did in our spirit when we were born from above. So it's important that we see that we are not earthly beings any longer, having a temporary spiritual experience, but that we are now spirit beings, having a temporary earthly experience, because we've been born from above by God's spirit. Therefore, you are designed to walk by God's spirit. See yourself today as being spirit-led. See yourself today as walking as a spirit as a spirit-led being. And you can look some scriptures up. I'll give you two scriptures that pertain to the things I just said: Galatians 5:25 and Romans 8:14. Amen. Here's some good news and good thoughts about 2020 and beyond. I was gonna <clears throat> let me see. I'm gonna change something here. Here's some good thoughts of looking at 2020 and beyond. But there's so many of the things I could say. But look for nothing but God's original design and definition of Jesus for his church. You are the church. You are in his kingdom. And it doesn't matter if you're in the building or if you're sitting here like I'm sitting in my office in a bedroom. We're still the church. If we're separated, we're still one in the spirit. We're still the church. So God is putting a big emphasis today, I believe the reason that we're in this situation, because I believe God is putting a big emphasis on healthy relationships within the kingdom of God. I believe he's trying to get the church to stop, stop thinking just us, us, us ten and no more, as the ten, ten or less people thing is going on. It's or us fifty and no more, or us a hundred, or us a thousand and no more. He's trying to get us to see the big picture the global picture of the kingdom. And I believe God is releasing his sound of purpose over the world, coupled with the sound of glory in his voice. I don't know if you... But last night I was watching Fox News. Uh, almost, I think it was almost 11 o'clock at night. It was on Waters World, whatever that is. And uh, But this, this guy comes on, Steve Bannon, and he's talking about... I mean, I don't know if you remember, but 
I told you just recently about a book uh, about the end of the world. Uh, it's called The End of the World by Johnny Enlow, and I'll let you see the book. It's a real little book. You can put it in your pocket. The End of the World as We Know It by Johnny Enlow. And he talks in here about a prophetic word. He gives a prophetic word about China in here and about that there are more Bible-believing Christians in China than communists in the Communist Party. That there is an underground church in China that is so powerful that Johnny Enlow predicts within the next five to ten years the Communist Party of China will be overthrown. And Steve Bannon last night on Waters World said the same thing. Not even knowing what he was... I don't think he knew what he was saying except he knew that it was going to happen. That there was going to be a change. And what's even more incredible, Johnny Enlow predicts that the United States and China will become the, the strongest powers once, that, when the, once the Communist Party is overturned and the Christians take over, that America and China will become the world powers that will lead the church into a new kingdom of abundance reality. I don't know about you, but I believe. I believe that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. I don't, I'm not going to believe all the conspiracy stuff. I'm not going to believe all the 666 stuff. I'm not going to believe all the nonsense about the end of the world. This is not the end. Believe a hundred years and beyond. Believe. I mean, I'm not waiting for something. Jesus just told me in, my, in Matthew 24 to watch and be ready. That's it. I'm watching and I'm ready. That's all I have to do. That's all I have to be in charge of. I'm not going to believe in all the other stuff. I'm not going to go there and let my mind go there and, and just constantly think of those things. But the sons and another thing that's, that is happening in our, in our situation right now, the sons and daughters of God will understand their inheritance. If you think 2020 is starting out bad, it's not bad. It's just that we don't understand what's happening in an unexpected circumstance. And we can't get, can't get free from it because Paul said in Philippians 4, 9, the things that you've seen in me and heard in me and learned, these things do. How many of us have been sitting in church for 20, 30 years? It is time for us to learn what, put into practice what you have learned, what you've been taught by your pastors or friends or people all over Facebook land that are speaking and talking today. It's time for us to put these things into practice and to realize that what we have in Christ, it's, imp it's a powerful thing. I mean, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, he says, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Philippians 4, 9. And 20, I believe 2020 and beyond will be the greatest decade in history for righteousness to be understood. These are things that I believe that are happening right now. God is positioning His church to become a kingdom-minded people so that they can see the bigger picture. Look beyond what you can see. Just, just imagine what God sees. Does God love every person in this world? He said He's not willing that any would perish. Does that just for you? Is that just for your church? Is that just for your neighborhood? To the ends of the earth. He loves them all. He created them all. He loves them all. He wants them to know Him. The kingdom of God will be the source of in influence and impact on existing cultures. Miracles, signs, and wonders will increase in ways and means, and God will restore the purpose of our nation and nations 
to its people, and to the world. I'm so excited about what God is doing. We're living in a very powerful, powerful time. And I'd like to close in some words of prayer here. And uh, I tell you, I, just, I wish I could talk some more because I'm so excited. But I believe there's an abundance for reformation in society coming very strongly. And I, I, don't listen to all the, the people who say oh, the, the economy is bad. The, bad, the, bad, the, bad. the future is not only better than you can think, it is better than you can imagine. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Jeremiah 29.11. What are his thoughts towards us? Are they thoughts of evil? Well, the world, the, 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 the media wants you to think it's bad. Everything's bad. It's getting worse. I mean, Jeremiah 29.11 refutes that. God's thoughts towards you are a future and a hope. Who are you going to believe? What, they, what you hear on the tube or what you're hearing in your Bible? Who has the word? Who has the last word? Who has the greatest word that, that could encourage us to be who we are in Christ? And that's what we need to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray because we only have a few minutes left. I like to pray with you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your promises that we find in your, in your Bible, in the word. And we declare right now that the Bible is our final authority for our lives. Father, I believe that you can change our lives through the power you have made available to us in your word. Lord Jesus, I thank you for everything that concerns us. Yes, we thank you in advance for the great life you have planned for each of us. Jeremiah 29, 11, you have a future and a hope for each of us. And it's more than any of us could ever ask of, think of, or even imagine. And from this day forward, we will be careful to choose the correct words to speak and to hear and to see. And so we purpose in our hearts today to only speak words that bring glory and praise to your name. And we only speak words that will exhort, encourage, and comfort those who are listening. And again, I thank you, Lord, for your word. We believe it will change our lives for all of eternity. And in closing this prayer, we refuse to walk in fear, for you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. And so I'll see you again next Sunday, May 31st, here on Facebook Live at 11 o'clock. And uh, we'll go from there. God's in control, amen? God's going to take care of it. God knows He's leading us and guiding us. We are the sons of God, and the sons of God are being led by the Spirit of God, Romans 8.14 and Romans 8.19. And God shall supply all our needs according to all of His riches and glory. And we can do all things in Christ. Let's just rest on that, amen? You have a great day. God bless, and we'll see you next week.